So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and where one competition ends, another begins. Today we'll be having a look at the Super Final, news out of Wallaby Camp and look forward to that first round of the Rugby Championship coming up. Toby, joining me today. Hey mate, how are you going? Yeah, good thanks mate. And unfortunately Leo can't be with us today but his loss is our gain, gives us a bit more time to talk. Let's jump straight in, mate. What what do you think of the Super Rugby final? Crusaders Lions, Crusaders won, thirty seven eighteen. Yeah, mate, it wasn't particularly surprising, uh, with this team. Like I mean, we also kinda of saw it coming in and whether mm. the, the Lions could, you know, make any sort of game of it. They didn't really do that. I think they just too many poor decisions at key moments. They were kicking penalties when they should have been going for tries and you know, the brilliance of someone like Richie Moanga was just too much for them to bear i think yeah weird to see the lions kicking penalties early it's something that they haven't done all year we've continually said oh lions don't go up in threes they go up in sevens but then obviously the crusaders just had that air about them that the lions wanted to take whatever points they could get on offer yeah i think once you get there in christchurch and there's you know there's that aura there and the, they probably just think that the points are so gold and they need to take them but it's the wrong, I think, the wrong strategy against the Crusaders because you need to play with them. You can't be playing catch-up the whole game. And it goes against that Lions mentality that, like you say, all year they've they've turned down penalty shots uh, going for the corner and, and trying that rolling more. Um, the the Crusaders were really able to, to shut that down well and put pressure on them all. And I think that just kind of, from that point onwards, once they showed the, the Crusaders showed their dominance in the mall... I think the Lions didn't know which way to go with things after that. Yeah, really true. It was really obvious. Early on, they had sort of two malls about five, ten metres out, and the Crusaders didn't let them go anywhere at all. And I think you're right. I think that just left the Lions sort of not really knowing what to do. They're used to having that forward dominance, used to getting going forward, and then being able to fling the ball wide to their speed men out wide. But without that sort of front foot ball, they didn't really seem to have much in the backs that was going to penetrate um, into a set Crusaders backline. Yeah, it's just such a huge performance in that way by the the Crusaders. I haven't seen a team kind of consistently dominate a mall like that in terms of defensively. Usually, you see there's a clear team that's that's dominant and it, it kind of rolls on. Maybe they just stop it, but the Crusaders were actually pushing them back mm. um, for consecutive malls on that defensive line out, and yeah, they just. The Lions couldn't adapt, and I think that's that's the key thing here, that they didn't adapt at all. Um, the Crusaders mixed up their play well, and they really capitalised when they needed to. They didn't look rattled at any time, and they were just patient. And I think the Lions, yeah, they just weren't really in this game, and it's disappointing for the third year in a row. Yeah, so three years in a row, grand finals, three losses in a row. Uh, do you think the window for the Lions is now closing or even closed? I mean, they've I think lost it's a few closing. Players. Closing? 
Yeah. Do you reckon I they have a chance to get back there are. next year? Possibly. Possibly if their if their schedule kind of helps them. I know with this format, it really does kind of aid some of the South African teams. Um, they get to play quite a few consecutive games at home and not travel too much within, say, the middle of the season. So I think maybe they have one more year, but I just don't see them getting better. And I think on that basis, they'll probably be there in the finals again, but I don't think they'll be in the grand final. So it's it's a bit probably a bit sad for them because they mm-hmm. have had such good chances. Um, but the the Hurricanes and the Crusaders, again, in this instance, really were just too good for them. And they've had an opportunity to play a final at home. Now they've played in New Zealand. Same result. So yeah, it's not looking too good for them. Yeah, and a few key mistakes early, especially by men like Elton Yang. She's sort of had that early mistakes, grounding the ball back behind his own line and giving the Crusaders a five-meter scrum after putting some pressure on. And he went for a try and came up short as well for that. So do, yeah. you, think, do you think there's any chance he gets back to Springbok 10 in the rugby championship? Or do you think... He just hasn't shown enough. I wouldn't have thought so. I think some of the young guys coming through should be preferable. And I think Andre Pollard at the moment is that kind of stable head that you'd want there Yeah. at a, at a spring box level. He's got a tremendous kicking game. We've seen during the Super Rugby season, his running game's pretty excellent as well. And he just doesn't kind of crumble under pressure like Yanchis tends to do. Mm. Um, and I think it's getting, it's getting worse over the last couple of years. Yanchi's when he first came on the scene, was a little bit shaky, but I think that he was just trying too many things. And then he kind of had that really peak season, I think, maybe three years ago on their first run yeah. um, when they were really coming to fruition. And since then, he just... I think even since he's played for the Springboks and not done as well as maybe he thought he would do, it's kind of shaken him a little bit. And he's he has that tendency to go missing in games. Mm. Um, and make those silly errors. Yeah, I sort of remember him two years ago, almost a bit arrogant, a bit of swagger about him um, in terms of his play, and he'd go and look to pull off these sort of amazing things, and half the time they'd be coming off for him. But you're right, now he just looks a bit uncertain a lot of the time of what he's sort of trying to do and where he's looking with that team. Yeah, I think it does remind me a bit of Clay Cooper as well in terms Mm. of that real rise. And then, you know, some things go wrong. When you when you play that kind of game where you're taking those risks and things start not coming off for you, then I think you start second-guessing your ability. And if you do that, you know, consistently, it's really hard. It's a hard trend to kind of shake. It's a hard thing to reverse and, and try to, I guess, reformat your game a little bit so you're not taking as many risks. But mm. that's the basis of his game. I think really he's just got to back himself and, and understand that's the way he plays and not try and do too many things. No, not be too many types of player in one. Like he is what he is and that might hinder him at international level. But I think for the Lions, when he plays like he naturally plays, he's, he's the best player for them, I think, at 10. But yeah, Springboks, I wouldn't put him there. Fair enough, fair enough. And... Your uh, reception's getting a little bit dodgy at the moment, but I think we'll just push on. You can still understand you at the moment. Let's switch from Lions 10 to Moanga. You already mentioned him before. He's been a standout these last few weeks of the Super season. Any chance you think you see him pull on a black jersey for the Rugby World Championship? I think we could see him at some stage come off the bench, depending on McKenzie. Um, but I don't think you're going to see him start, unless things go really badly for Bowden. I think at least he's got the Sydney game and the, the Eden Park game under his belt for sure. Mm. Um, 
you know, if the Wallabies were to win two games in a row, they they might make a change to Moanga. Yeah. But I really don't see that happening. You know, at best, I think Wallabies could take the Sydney game. You know, New Zealand take the, the Eden Park game. And I don't think Bowden Barrett's going to go anywhere mm-hmm. really this season unless he gets injured, um, which is a shame for Richie because he's played so well and he has been the Form 10. I don't yeah. think anyone's doubting that. But Bowden Barrett's got the points on the board at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's going to be hard for Richie to d- displace him, I guess. Um, particularly with McKenzie there offering that utility back roll off the bench, which may kind of keep Richie Mongonger as the the backup, the third string. Yeah. Um, which is yeah unfortunate for him, I think. Yeah, it's hard to put Mongonger on the bench when he's sort of only a single single option, single position player. The only other thing to talk about in that final, I guess, is the Australian representative. We obviously had Samu in the Crusaders, but um, I'm talking about Angus Gardner. What do you think of his performance as ref in that game? I think he's, you know, he really asserts himself on a game. That's clear. Whether that's the right strategy to be as forceful as he is, um, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I think he's still finding a balance between being that a really assertive ref and also working with the players because he can be a bit kind of dictatorish in some ways mm. and that you know for, for a good captain that's fine they can deal with you and at this this level i guess it probably does work because the captains understand where he's coming from in terms of really being firm with those decisions um but yeah there's there's probably a few things he can iron out overall though i think it, uh, this performance was was really good he didn't spend too much time going up to tmo or anything like that he was pretty decisive and that's what you want yeah. Um, and I think at the moment, yeah, he's probably one of the form refs in the world. Yeah, I definitely think he's up there in the top sort of two, three, probably, to pick for these key performances. Um, he is sort of a bit hard-nosing, but you could see he definitely wanted to make his mark early. He didn't want to let anyone sort of push the bounds of what he was saying early on in this game. But I quite liked that. It was very clear what he was willing to put up with in that final um, and what he was happy to let play. But... I think that's what worked. Yeah, uh, he communicates really well, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he, he really does speak well. He's he's clear. He doesn't mince his words at all. He's And he he stands up to these players. He doesn't let anyone intimidate him. Yeah, exactly. And I think he's, you know, he's not a young ref, but at the same time, I guess, in the context of international referees, he's a little bit younger than... Yeah, he's earlier before. in his career. Yeah, exactly. But he's got plenty of experience and... I think, you know, having that time at Super Rugby level has really helped him on the international stage because you're dealing with the best players in the world. Mm. And it's it's not it's not like maybe in the, the French League or something with some of these referees where you've got second-string players playing a lot of time for these clubs. Mm. You know, at Super Rugby level, when you're getting teams like the Crusaders and the Lions, these are guys you're going to be seeing a few weeks later in the Rugby Championship. So I think that helps him as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's let's leave the final there. Obviously, Crusaders win two years in a row, and Scotty Robinson dances again to celebrate. Uh, what a great rise he's had the first two years coaching the Crusaders to two championships. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, how long is it going to be till there's a new All Blacks coach? He could be the next one if he doesn't end up going to Europe or something. He's he's really solidified further that culture at the Crusaders. Mm. I think it's even stronger than maybe it used to be. He's, you know, a really humble guy. He knows how to have fun, though, and relax. And I think that's something about Scott Robinson. Like, he's got such good composure. He's 
methodical but also relaxed which is you know a, a rare quality to find in a coach you don't want kind of a coach being too relaxed and that rubs off on the players but I think he's he's found a really good balance and that that just seems to work at a Crusaders level and I think it would work at an All Blacks level as well all right let's look at the other news that's come up this week uh, a few new contracts have been coming out biggest probably talking point is Michael Hooper is signed for another five years with Rugby Australia, planning on staying with the Waratahs. He signed a deal worth $6 million over five years. Yeah, mate, that's, I mean, that's amazing from my perspective. I've seen a few people criticise that in terms of how can you be investing that much money in, in one person over a, a long stretch of time. But I think locking him in at that price at the moment is, is a pretty, it's a pretty good deal for Rugby Australia. And, that, that means that he's going to be around definitely for the next two World Cups. There's going to be no threat of losing the Wallabies captain, say, after 2019 or something like that. I think it's it's a really good trend to see because there's been, particularly with guys like, say, Israel Folau, you've had these short-term deals where every year or two there's a threat of them going overseas and they have to renegotiate there and there's that uncertainty. But with Hooper at the moment, he said, look, I want to be here. I love being captain. I love playing for the Waratahs. I obviously love playing for the Wallabies. And I want to keep that going to last 30, 31. Mm. And then we'll, you know, revisit things after that. So I think it's a really positive thing to see in Australian rugby. He has a good history in terms of injuries and things like that. He's a very durable player. So I don't see if it, you know, I can't see at all how it's a much bad of a downside for rugby that. Australia. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's amazing. I think it's great. Speaking of Falau, there were some rumblings who was looking at Reds and things, but the last words we've heard is um, that likely to stay with the Waratahs. Um, no deal finalised as yet, but we'll keep our eyes open for that. Otherwise, though, the Reds have had a few things sort of coming up and a few players thinking about leaving, and I don't know whether this is a comment on what Brad Thorne is doing up there or whether it's just individual um, players, but you've had... Samu Karebi talking about leaving, looking at going to the Brumbies. You've had Luke Antui talking about coming back down south, um, moving back down to Sydney. Um, what do you think about what's happening at the Reds? I think this is probably a necessary reaction to some of the, the things that have gone on. And particularly, I think Brad Thorne is a, is a polarising figure. Um, he's a bit controversial. He has very strict approaches with things. You've seen Slipper, Carmichael Hunt and Quade Cooper all be kind of exiled um, and probably with good reason. But I think the players that you know have relationships with these guys, you know, probably think, look, do they deserve a second chance, maybe even a third chance? They're great players. We like having them around. Why are you kind of keeping them out of the system mm. when they're, you know, they're paying their dues. They're ready to kind of move on from, from what's gone on. Brad Thorne just doesn't want that culture at all within the system. And I think this is just a necessary kind of step to have a, a few guys maybe move on that, that aren't so happy with that approach. Is it partly, though, there's not enough money at the Reds because all their money's tied up in people like Quaid and Carmichael and things? Yeah, I mean, this is a big problem. They could be, offer, they could be offering Karevi bigger deals and Tui big deals if they didn't have all that money tied up, but they've got another year where they have to be paying these guys. Yeah, it is. I mean... I don't know how you get around that. You either just you have to do better at getting them to sign elsewhere. And I think particularly Quaid, he's content in just 
playing club rugby and and letting the Reds pay him for for not doing as much as usual. And, and I can't see that changing next year, really. Um, I'm I'm not sure it's a good decision from Quaid's perspective, but I think that's the way things are going to play out. It was just interesting to see even guys like Rodder talk about moving on. Mm. And I would have thought that he would have been a guy, you know, in the mould of Brad Thorne that would have wanted to stick around and, and really, you know, build his his career at the Reds. He's a local boy, and I just think his approach would suit Thorne's coaching style. But, you know, we've had talks of him maybe going to the Waratahs and pairing up with Rob Simmons. And maybe it's just a money thing, you know. Maybe it's got nothing to do with, you know, not wanting to play under Brad Thorne or something. If he can get one or 200k more at the Waratahs, he's probably going to do it. Um, particularly when the Waratahs have topped the Australian Conference. So you can see why these guys are looking at moving on if it's a money thing. Mm. Um, it's just really hard to know all the details when when these rumours come out. You know, you had... We just we just saw the or a couple of weeks ago maybe erase Simone signed with the Brumbies to play. He's he's going to try and be the the lockdown twelve there. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit of a gamble with the Brumbies. You have someone like Samu Karevi talking about maybe pairing up with Tavita Kurandrani at the Brumbies as well. So that might be you know you see the Brumbies bolster their stocks for the Reds might lose some of these guys in the backline that they need to shore up. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because, you know, Thorne's, Thorne is an interesting figure. I think he's actually doing a good job there, but it's still going to take a couple more years, I think, for that squad to really come together. Well, that's it. And I, I for one, hope that he does manage to hold on to some of these key cogs in that system. You see what he can do, and if you give that man more time, I think he's going to build a really strong culture and a really strong team up there. You've seen what he's done with bringing players up and seeing what he's done with Taniela Tupo in terms of his scrummaging. You've seen BPA go from NRC and club rugby to becoming a wallaby within a season. Uh, you've seen a lot of really positive steps from that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's it's actually just even starting to benefit the wallabies within a year. Mm. I think it's a really good, really good thing to be happening. But yeah, there's going to be some downsides to, to this hard-nosed approach. I think it's going to bear some really good rewards, but like I said, I think it's going to take more time and perhaps people like Quaid and Carmichael really moving on before the Reds can be free of that kind of that burden financially as well um, so the club can move forward. Yeah, well, and I mean, speaking of that hard-nosed approach and those players he sort of left behind, um, Slipper's been back in the news, obviously playing in that trial game for the Super 15 Select team, uh, but... The Rebels have come out showing a little bit of interest in him and hopefully looking to sign him for next season, which, I, I mean, i got to think is a positive thing after the form he was showing. I'd hate for him not to get another chance as a potential sort of um, prop to bolster our stocks ahead of the World Cup. Yeah, well, he's still got something to give Australian rugby. I don't want to see him go over, you know, off, offshore. If he have any sort of injuries in those younger props that we have in the, you know, the 23 at the moment... James Slipper could come in and, and really play that veteran role. And that's exactly what the Rebels need as well at the moment. Their front row was a little bit shambolic this season um, with rota- rotations in and out. You've got someone like Jermaine Ainsley progressing pretty well at tight head. So to have James Slipper there at loose head and maybe Ulysses at hooker, 
have a pretty strong, I think, front row going forward for the Rebels. So mm. I, I hope they do sign him. The Rebels as well have had their cultural problems down there, and we, we won't touch on that too much, but they're, they're trying to, I guess, build a, a better culture as well. With Dave Vessels, I think they can do that. And I think James Slipper, with the circumstances around what he had to go through, he had some reasons for, for having the problems he did. Um, it wasn't just the fact that he was partying. He was dealing with some very personal issues. So I hope he gets another chance. Yeah, definitely. I hope so too. All right, let's move on and look at the Wallabies. Uh, first, probably cover the trial game we briefly mentioned then. Um, so the selection of Super 15 uh, versus what was in the end called Checkers Choice um, in that free trial game down at Leichhardt Oval. And... Uh, as I'm sure people would have thought, um, the Wallabies Checkers Choice team uh, ran away key key victors in this winning sort of 57 to 12. But it's not so much about the score. A few big points coming out of that. Probably most notably, the return of Matt Tamua um, started for Checkers Choice in this game. Yeah, it's so great to have Tamua back, really. And you can see he's already straight into that Wallabies setup, training as a key figure in the back line. You know, backing up guys like KB and Foley. Mm. And I think we've missed that for a little while. And we've got away with it for the most part because these guys have been so durable. He's, he's got a good kicking game, amazing defense, and he's got really good, you know, attacking skills as well. So he's a complete package. Um, I'm glad to see him back. And you can see that Checker has faith in him in, by putting him in straight away. You know, even though he hasn't played at Super Rugby level for a couple of years now, he's not hesitant and bringing him straight in. No, I think it's really good seeing Tamua back there, and he is a very much similar player in terms of his attack to Foley. He's very much on the front foot, taking on the line. Uh, so I think it's, it's very good to see him over there. And you saw straight after the game, um, myself and Leo were in attendance. We saw Cheka walk straight up onto the field and straight over to Matt Tamua and immediately start having a close chat to him for about sort of a good solid five minutes by himself. So... Uh, obviously pretty pretty close in the coach's mind and um, good to see that they've got that connection looking out. Uh, I guess the other sort of question over this game, and it's been the question for a couple of weeks, is who's going to play 13, but I think it was pretty pretty easily answered in this with Reese Hodge getting the start at 13 and really playing the majority of the game there um, before getting subbed off. Uh, seemed like it answered most of uh, my questions Um I mean, Curtis Rona obviously not in the selection ability for this coming back from the Waratahs, but the only other people you had like Jordan Patea, but he was coming off the bench and playing wing mostly. Yeah, and people are getting a bit carried away with Jordan Patea. There's no question that he's a really talented young player, but he's still very raw. Yeah. And there was no way that Czech is going to throw him in to a first, you know, Bledisloe at age 18, 19 at, at number 13. Like if it was on the wing, maybe... You could get away with it and taking that risk. But you need someone that's used to playing the position at a higher level, whether that be Curtis Rona, which we which we now know that he's been left out of the squad. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Hodge, I think all things in, in the balance, I think Hodge is probably the guy to go with. Um, it makes the most sense. He's got a, a great kicking game. Um, he's he's a talented runner, even though he looks awkward. He's quite quite fast. Um, and he's, I think he's got the ability to, to learn and, and read defences or read attacks pretty well in defence. So it's our best option at the moment. We'll see how, it's, how it gets tested against the All Blacks. He's, 
He's going to be thrown in the deep end a little bit, but I think he's up to it. Yeah. I guess all in all, uh, with that fixture, we think was a success. It was a great night of Leichhardt. They got quite a good crowd through there. It was pretty packed out through the stands and through the hill. Um, Leichhardt was not obviously the easiest place to get to, um, but hopefully it's something that continues in the future. Hopefully that's going to help sort of their uh, Wallabies preparation into the rugby championship. Yeah, I think it's good, um, and it breaches that gap in the in the Super Rugby system where the finals are going on, and and maybe some of the Australian teams aren't involved um, as deep into the season. So I think for that reason, plus the fact that the fans get to see a, a quite a good game of footy for free, it's at a suburban ground where you know it's changing things up a bit. The dynamic, it it goes back to that kind of grassroots stuff, and you know a similar vibe maybe to Shoot Shield. Um, and I think it, yeah, it's, it's good for everyone involved. It, it allows some of these fringe guys to get some game time against um, some of the more full-time Wallabies to show their we- their wares a little bit. So I, I can't really see a downside to it apart from maybe some injuries that could come out of the game um, year to year. At the moment, we didn't see that, which is good. Um, I just think they need to to do kind of plan this ad- in advance, make sure everyone knows when it's going to be, you know, and really kind of branded in a certain way as well. I know it's going Mm. to be hopefully a free fixture going forward, but I think they just need to brand it. You know, if you're saying Super Rugby Select and you're selecting guys from the force, I mean, that's technically not really correct at all, is it? You're seeing guys Mm. like Andrew Deegan come in and play fly half, and I don't have a problem with that as well, but you just need to kind of have a, a clear branding around it and um, I think, yeah, going forward, it can be even more successful. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know whether you call it, you could call it like the cricket always has the Prime Minister's 11, you call it the Prime Minister's 15 well, or something. Versus Tricker's choice, I, don't, but... I, I don't really see a problem with calling it Australia A. No. In some ways. I mean, if, if you say that have the potential to play for Australia, play for the Wallabies. Mm why not give them the benefit of saying, look, this is a prestigious game. This is, I don't know what you'd call the Wallaby side of things. You could just say it's Australia versus Australia A. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you've got you've got to come up with something a bit clever. And I think if you call it Australia A, maybe the public thinks, oh, wow, okay, this is even more than just some kind of random bunch of dudes pulled together. This is a, you know, a this second, the best, second level best to international. But it's, yeah. Exactly, the best or the best group of players that are on the fringe in Australia. Mm. It's not just guys we've found all around the place that are available. Mm. Um, there's there's something to be seen there. So, yeah, if it's branded and and advertised well ahead of time, I think it can only grow bigger and bigger, which yeah. is a good thing for Australian rugby. Exactly, and it's nice to see some of the other players that weren't even playing were out there supporting. I was walking in, we had sort of Mick Phibbs and Dalen Haylett Petty standing at the gates, handing out brochures and handing out uh, things for the game. So really, really good to see everyone's around it and supporting it. Um, but from yeah. that, we obviously got the Wallabies squad. Uh, Checker initially named a 36-man team. He's cut it down to 28, uh, two less than normal. Uh, notable cuts, I guess, being you had people like Falau Fainga miss out, Rory Arnold cut, Caleb Timu. Um, as well as Curtis Rona, as we said before, some of those other fringe players, Billy Meeks, Jordan Patea, Stefan Ivalu, and Jermaine Ainsley also, also missing out in the end. 
but we're left with some potential debutants in Tom Banks and Jack Maddox uh, remain there, and Tadafu Pilota now, and Matt Tamua obviously back into that squad. Yeah, it's a good squad, and I think it's there's been a concerted effort to really narrow it down as much as possible. In in other years, we've seen maybe a squad of even say 33 mm. being named, but this year he really wants that individual focus on these guys that are going to be playing, going to be in that match match day 23, and that doesn't mean I think there are you know maybe another five guys there, but they're not on paper um, as being selected. You know, or mm. having the availability of selection for this first yeah. Yeah. first Bledisloe. So, I think it's a good thing. Um, yeah, and it just shows you how hard it is to break into that squad when guys like Caleb Timu, um, Jordan Patea that have been hyped up in the last couple of weeks just drop out pretty quickly. Um, Tom Banks really has been a standout as a young player there, and and I think Jack Maddox as well throughout the year is really impressed so it's mm. not surprising to see him there and I think we've really gone for a lot of speed on the fringes we know that's an important um, characteristic of a, of a winger that sometimes isn't there for us in the squad I think Corabidi is now a bit of a mainstay on the wing yeah. but DHP is definitely not one of the fastest guys um, on the park so he plays a different kind of role in terms of his defence and kicking abilities mm. um, and really organising a back line but when you've got raw pace and skill and just some of this talent floating around that that comes through guys like Banks and Maddox, you can see why Checker is kind of keeping them around because I think that's kind of the future. Once they develop, they're going to be really guys that will be in the Wallabies for the next, say, 10 years. Yeah, and um, I, I think you're right, the speed that comes out. I mean, we saw Corobiti's first try in that trial was just raw pace, and Tom Banks as well showed... Again, just yep. how quick he is with a couple of chase down defensive efforts, uh, stopping a few tries from from pretty long range, and it's amazing to watch him live how quick that guy gets up to. Yeah, I think that actually would have nearly secured it for him in Checker's mind, mm. because you don't see that all the time that you have guys chasing right to the de- death of a try. Nick Phipps does it, but he doesn't have the pace of Tom Banks. Yeah, exactly. So. Tom Banks can just chase anyone down, it seems, and, and that's what you want in a test match. And in those really, really dire moments, you need guys like that just going all out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the other big sort of points from this Wallaby squad, I noticed, um, obviously good to see Michael Hooper, DHP, and Scott, Scotty Seer all pass late fitness tests to be um, named in that squad. But the other big thing, once since they've dropped Rory Arnold, it really means they only have three sort of specialist second rowers in this squad now between Coleman, Rodder and Simmons. Um, who do you think is going to be their sort of next cover man if one of them goes down? I mean, you have Luke Antui, Ned Hanningen, I guess, are the other two that have played second row. Yeah, it'd have to be Tui, I think. I don't think Hannigan at international level could be, you know, a starting second row. Maybe if they reformat the pack 60 minutes into a game, he, he might be able to pull it off. But in terms of scrummaging, I think we'd lose too much if he was playing second row. Yeah. And I really do think they seem to be as more of a blindside flanker going forward. But, yeah, it's it's maybe a little bit of a risk not having Rory Arnold there in the full-time squad. But like I said, I think he's probably still training with the group broadly. Um, mm. So I don't think it's too much of a worry if he had to come in if there was an injury. Um, but, yeah, it's Hannigan's a real favourite of, of Michael Checker. Um 
he he didn't have maybe the the most outstanding season, and he dealt with a few injuries. But he's a guy checker trusts, and I think that's an important um, quality in terms of checker. Like once you earn his trust, he'll continue to back you, and you have to let him down quite a few times before he goes away from you. And there's guys like Caleb Timu that haven't quite gained the trust of of Michael Checker. And I think in a similar way that Higginbotham has those odd kind of standout performances and then can't really back it up. Yeah, it disappears. I, I think there's a I think there's a risk that to uh, that Caleb Timu could fall into that kind of category if he's not careful. Mm-hmm. Where he's performing, you know, one week really outstanding and then kind of goes missing for a couple of weeks. That's something that Checker is very wary of. So Nenahanigan always brings it, Hooper always brings it. Most of the guys there you would never question their their kind of consistency week to week. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's important that he can rely on you um, on a consistent basis. So we've talked about the squad. What do we really see in terms of the makeup of the starting fifteen for this Wallabies team this week? Do you think there's gonna be much change from that final Irish test? Uh, probably the biggest one if we're looking through the start is at Hooker. Um, do you think yeah. TPN slots straight back in? Do you think BPA comes back in or Tolulatu holds on to his spot? Something tells me that TPN's going to start. Um, if he's if he's got that fitness there and he's not carrying any injuries, as long as he's had the enough time, which I, I imagine he has, mm. to, to really get back into the system and, and if there's been any changes to that system, be able to adapt to that. Um, I think the way that we were using Tolu Latu off the bench so effectively, which kind of continued for the Waratahs up until that final. Mm. So I think he's kind of, he knows when to shine in that last 20, 30 minutes. So I would imagine that TPN would be preferable to BPA. Um, but in saying that, you just don't know. Like if, if TPN is not quite ready, they could go with starting Brandon Pang or Amosa and then bringing Tolu Latu off the bench. Mm. I would be surprised, I think, to see Tolu Latu start. But, you know, he's a quality player. He's not going to let you down. It's just the roles you want these guys to play, I think. It just comes down to that. Yeah, we need to obviously find a three-letter acronym for Tolu Latu so he can fit into this hooker club that we're starting to build. Tolu has a middle name. Exactly. Or TL2 or something, Tolu Latu. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. I, I think you're right. If TPN is looking ready at all, he should be sitting into that um, starting sort of team. Do you see any sort of other changes? Obviously, we normally had sort of CO and Kepu is starting in the props. You had Roder and Coleman in the row um, and that finals back row of um, Hooper, Pocock, Tui. Do you see much difference between those? The only two places that I could see potentially a change which I, I don't think Checker will do at this stage but Kepu might start on the bench if he really wants to play a little bit more risky um, you start Taniela Tupo but again I think using him in the, the latter half of the game is really effective mm. in combination with someone like Tolu Latu so from my perspective I'd be keeping Kepu in there but at some stage we're going to see I think maybe even prior to the 2019 World Cup Taniela Tupo getting, you know, more minutes than Kepu. Um, I'm not sure when that's going to be, but uh, like Kepu is such a seasoned veteran and he he knows the All Blacks so well. So I'd be I'd be probably keeping him in there. Um, and the the other spot is really I think at six, 
I think they'll go with Tui, but I think Hannigan is also a shot to be there starting at six. Yeah, I've, I don't know why, but I have a feeling that Hannigan's going to end up getting the start at six. Uh, it's just a gut feeling, and I think it just comes back down to who Checker trusts, and in a big game like this, he might trust Hannigan more for the start. Um, and then, as you said, he loves his finishes. Having someone like Tui coming off the bench has obviously been doing a very good job in previous times. Uh, so I'd expect that sort of to, to be his starting makeup for the forward pack. For the back line, I guess we're, we're not really expecting any real change. The only change is Hodge at 13. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think hopefully Will Genia is 100% fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you'll see anyone else there. I'm still surprised Joe Powell's in the squad line. We have to do to get Jake Gordon in there. Um, it's it's a bit of a worrying trend. I don't know if there's some sort of, I don't know, maybe maybe Checker just doesn't prefer him. I don't know. It's just kind of strange. I know, I know Powell's been in the system longer, but still kind of baffles me. Um, but yeah, that back line's in pretty. It's pretty strong at the moment, and there's it's hard for anyone to break in there. Like I said before, I think Corabidi's now down that wing spot. Um, at 13 it's hard to see anyone else being there at the moment yeah the guys that are left the only other thing they could do is put Falau at 13 and um you know either drop dhp back at fullback or Mm. or banks start banks at fullback um i don't i think check has made it pretty clear that he thinks Falau should be playing at at 15 he's come out again Um, again and said that yeah exactly and i think look we've talked they've talked about this before that um, Reese Hodge had the potential to be a, a world-class 13. He just really hasn't had that opportunity as much. We've been looking at Tavita and Samu Karevi. So this is his chance to really try and hold on to that position mm. um, and avoid playing playing on the wing. So I hope it works out, but it, it is probably the only fragile spot in that back line at the moment. Yeah, and what do you, what do you think the bench is probably going to be made up of? I mean... You'd expect, I guess, to see people like Tom Robinson holding on to his spot, Taniella Tupo as the backup props. We've talked about hookers. Um, Rob Simmons seems like he'd be the first choice sort of lock in there, and then it gets it comes down to what your split is, is whether you're going to have two or three backs on the bench um, on how many of those back rows you have, uh, whether Pete Samu mm. stays in there, and you just keep sort of a Nick Phipps and... I don't know who else you put in terms of the backs, whether Matt Tamil does get a spot in there. Yeah, that's the that's a difficult thing, right? Because I think we've been we've been going for a six two split on the bench, um, favouring the forwards for a while. You know, I, I can see Simmons, like you said, Simmons and then probably from my perspective Hannigan and then Pete Samu. But then you're stuck with I like Tom Banks at at twenty three or you keep someone like Tamura in there that's a little bit less flexible I think in terms of playing in the outside backs Mm, I guess the fact that we're thinking Hodge is going to be at 13 you have quite a good coverage of those back three spots uh, because he can play wing, can play fullback and you have DHP there, I'd expect probably them to put another 10-12 sort of player that can cover there so I would think Matt Tamura slots into that uh, final back spot unless of course they... I probably agree with that Yeah, yeah and defensively as well, coming on late. If if Curtly Beal could even shift to fullback, like you could bring, you could rotate the back line quite a bit. You could bring Filao to thirteen, put Hodge on the wing, mm. um, drop KB back. You know, you could do a multitude of things 
by having Matt Samuel there on the bench. It's just whether, you know, it's whether a guy like a winger goes down early and then you have to shift Hodge out or, you know, shift KB out like some or put Samuel on the wing. Like that becomes maybe a little bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, we really don't want to see someone like Pitts playing on the wing again. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think, like you say, Archie's probably the, the best option for now. Just before we talk a bit about the All Blacks, I mean, you mentioned Jake Gordon earlier and just you talking about Phipps playing on the wing. It, it um, made me think when we saw Gordon pull on the shirt for the the super sort of select 15 uh, in that trial game and he ended up scoring a try there. Do you know who Jake Gordon reminds me of as an international player? I'm thinking about a halfback that we've seen before internationally playing on wings that we've always seen being a really strong attacking presence. You may have seen him in previous... It's one of the Sabre. It might be... Is it through Dupree? Not quite through Dupree. the other Sabre? Yeah. The other Sabre, you Francois Hogarth. He had a mullet. He had a mullet. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see him in a very similar vein, and he had a lot of success for the Springboks over the years in both those positions. And So I I know we're obviously strong supporters for Jake on this show, uh, but... I definitely think that oh, I really hope we do see him pulling on that gold jersey for the Wallabies uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, like he just, what more does he have to do? He's playing for both sides in that trial. <laughs> um, he's scoring tries on the wing. He's got a great pass. He's, he's got some probably the best attacking ability apart from Will Genier as a halfback in the country. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what else he has to do. He, he backs up fits when he has to at the Waratahs or he's happy to start. He's very flexible in the way that he plays so look, I think at some stage we're going to see him in there and if Genia, Genia is probably he's not super old but he's you know he's near 30 if not 30 already so I think Jake's probably the future and, and when we go towards that um, I'll be I'll be pretty happy I think Fair enough. Um, so the All Blacks first off Steve Hansen sort of come out in a bit of controversy this week naming Australia as the favourites for this first game and for the Bledisloe this year. Um, what do you make of that? Do you think that's just some gamesmanship on the part of the all-black coach trying to put the pressure back on Checkers' men? Um, yeah, he's, he's trying to actually put the focus on the Wallabies and saying, look, they're the form team at the moment in terms of the matchup against the all-blacks because they lost the last game. Um, well, they all both lost to the Wallabies in that third letters low last year, but there's no there's no point kind of bringing this up. Like, the, the All Blacks have dominated for the last 15 years. Exactly. Um, it's a silly thing to say. I mean, I can see some slight chinks in that All Blacks machine in some ways. Um, I think we kind of showed the, the way to play against them in Dunedin and then again in, was it Brisbane, when yeah. we won that third game. Yeah, it's um, So I do, I do think the tide's turning a little bit. But I, I do mean a little bit. Like, I think that we're only just starting to assert ourselves a bit more. Um, and I think probably the reason Hanson's saying this, I mean, he talks a lot of garbage generally, but <laughs> I think he's, he's saying this for a very good reason. He he knows that there is a slight kind of change of, of the tide there, and he wants to make sure that that's kind of halted pretty quickly and that, these guys aren't complacent at all because he does know how dangerous this Wallabies team can be. Mm. Even though we're ranked, what is it, fifth in the world at the moment or something like that? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we're a top three nation for sure. Um, Ireland was a, a very good team. I don't think that that really 
shows too much about our abilities um, against the All Blacks. I think that we can compete with the All Blacks, um, and I think we can win this first game. So Hanson's aware of that. He's trying to play some sort of mind games. I don't think it's going to work. Um, I think even the media just kind of shut him down and just saying, like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> um, but it, it might actually motivate his players. I'm not sure if he's if he's just trying to put them on notice and say, look, if anyone takes this for granted and you guys drop this game, there's going to be there's going to be some mass changes. So you better be up for it. You better come out firing because he knows the Wallabies going to be doing that, I think. So you said you think the Wallabies can win this game. How do they do that? What do they have to do? Well, I think it comes down to playing in the right areas of the field. I think they do have to implement a pretty you know, good tactical kicking game, but at the same time not kick the ball away too much with some stupid box kicks and things like that. Like we need to have possession. Wallabies need possession to win games. Um, and with ball in hand, our back line can really shine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for that, we've got to play in the right areas of the field and our forwards really have to stand up physically. I think they have to be dominant um, at the ruck. I think they have to be really clinical in their set piece. Um, and they can't be intimidated by, by this All Blacks pack. Um, if we really set, if we even just match up with them, I think our back line can get the better of the All Blacks. Um, I think at the moment there's a few signs that, you know, it depends on their centre pairing in some ways, but they might be a little more unsettled there. And you've got Bowden Barrett. Um, lacking a bit of form. So I think our backline overall is probably in better stead at the moment mm. um, as a unit. But it, it does start with the forwards. And it goes back to that classic saying, if we can win the battle up front, you know, we can win the game. Um, I think the forwards really, really have to come out and be dominant. And I think that starts with guys like Pocock, Tui. I think Tui is a really important part of that. Um, and our second rowers, I think, Rodder and Coleman. Yeah, really, really muscling up. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree the, with that. The All Blacks are, yeah, the All Blacks are so tough. Yeah, and obviously we've typically always started slow in these Sydney tests in this first game of the rugby championship and we get blown off a bit before having to make a comeback. Uh, so you're right, starting really strong. I really want to see us use Hodges' boot to the greatest advantage, especially in like our clearances from our own quarter um, because we do have people like Foley... Look, has a reasonable kicking game, but he doesn't really have the power kicking game that someone like Hodge can provide us to get us out of our own half, really. Yeah, I think we have all the all the components there to win this game. It's mm. just putting them all together correctly. And we've kind of, like you say, we've started slowly in other years that really it's damaged our ability to to capitalise on this, this Bledisloe because... We, we tend to be very strong in the third game every year, but we need to come out firing in the first one to make sure we're not behind the eight ball. Um, and it's been a similar thing in, say, rugby league with the state of origin. You've got to come out and win that first game and win it well. Mm. I think if we can do that, we can really unsettle the All Blacks going into Eden Park. Mm-hmm. And then who knows? Like, there is a who thing, a place we haven't won for, for 32 years or something like that. Mm. But if we unsettle them in this first game enough, I think the pressure really goes back on them, and I think that we can, we can even, you know, have a really good shot at taking the Bledisloe for the first time in what since 2002, 16 years now. Yeah, this will be the 16th year. So, do you see any surprises coming um, from the All Black sort of starting 15? Do you think there's going to be much change? We've already talked about the 10. We suspect Barrett will start. 
Um, any other real changes you think for coming out of those sort of French tests? I'm interested to see whether TJ Perinara starts or you, you still persevere with Aaron Smith. You know, Wisdom would say that they don't go away from a model that's been working for a while now. And you probably see TJ on the bench and Aaron Smith starting. Um, but having TJ's kind of combination with Bowden Barrett could help him if they were to kind of keep them together. Um, and then it comes down for me, I think, look, you've got guys like Rico Ioani on one wing, maybe Naholo on the other. Do you have Ben Smith at fullback? Or do you have McKenzie at fullback? McKenzie on the bench? Like, there's quite a few Barrett things in there at do. fullback. Jordy Barrett at fullback. I think, again, he's been a little bit out of form. Yeah. But then he was playing at 13, which obviously isn't his preferred position. The only kind of... I guess question mark over the back line like I was saying was the exact makeup of their centre pairing um, I think you're probably going to see Crotty there at 12 yeah. and you, it's, it's whether you do you have Jack Goodhue there at 13 will Ooh, Sonny Bill Brown. Williams be fit I don't think he, he will be so it could be Anton Leonard Brown like who's been there for a few years on and off mm. um, their forward pack's probably a lot more certain um, and I think the Crusaders going to make up a big Big percentage of that forward pack. Yeah. Um, Only change I'd so, expect to see Brody Retallick, hopefully, uh, if he's fit, coming back into that second row. Uh, I'd expect probably on yeah. him, instead of Scotty Barrett, uh, him and yeah, Whitelock maybe. to do that. Because yeah. I don't I think, think Brody. Can... Brody's the the form second rower in in New Zealand, and and Sam Whitelock's the captain, so he's going to be there. So, like you yeah. said, I think you know Barrett could be on the bench. Um, Cody Taylor will be starting at hooker. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably see what Owen Franks and Joe Moody. Yeah, the props. I'd expect that. And then you'll have um, Sam Kane in there, Kieran Reid. On the bench. And yeah, Sam yeah. Reid. Um, again, six will be a bit of a question again, um, who they sort mm. of slot into there. They've had a few different I think, people. I think you'll, based on what I've heard, I think it'll be Liam Squire. Yeah. Um, provided he's fit. He really offers, offers that hardened edge, and he's still a really quick guy around the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you'll see him at six, and that makes up a pretty dominant forward pack like we're used to seeing. Oh, yeah. Um, so not, not too many weaknesses there. I think we can in- exploit their back line if they're a little bit off. Look, you've got to take your, your advantages where you can against the All Blacks because they're such a, a well-put-together unit. I, I saw a stat the other day. They've lost eight games out of the last hundred games they played. So you can see how tough it is to beat them. You know, maybe the public's not quite aware of how 92% win rate. You know, that's that's the highest of any professional franchise in the world. Yeah. So let's not forget that. Um, so it does, it does show how important it is to even win one game against them at the moment. They've been so dominant for, for so long now. But that, that has to change at some point. And I think... You know, if we can disrupt them a little bit um, and, and put them off, at least against us, I think we can really improve on that record that yeah. we've kind of suffered against. Definitely, definitely. And, I mean, another thing that Hanson said, come out and said that uh, all we, they need to do to shut down the Wallabies is shut down Kurtley Beal, but I don't quite agree with that. He's obviously a key cog in our back line, but I think uh, we have certainly got a few other attacking threats yeah, I think the focus was before was on Pocock, and he's saying, oh, well, look, we've got Pocock's measure. We know how to, to keep him out of the game. But now the focus is on KB. Um, look, he's just going to keep shifting the, the focus onto different guys, depending on mm-hmm. their form, probably. The Wallabies have have so many threats, like you say, across the park. 
you know, don't forget about Israel Folau. Don't forget about guys like Korobedi who can really break the game open. And then you got if if Will Genius starts to run as well, yeah, not something to worry about exactly. there. So exactly, you've seen him do, do that on multiple occasions. And when we play well against the All Blacks, it's often when Will Genius is running the ball. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out, I guess. That's right. So first game of the Bledisloe, first game of Rugby Championship for 2018. That's Saturday night at ANZ Stadium in Sydney. Can't wait to see that. Uh, the other game that will be on is obviously South Africa versus Argentina uh, coming out, and that'll be on Saturday night, I think, about 1 a.m. Um, Australian sort of time, and that's coming out of Kings Park Stadium. Um, so, I mean, not... We don't know a huge amount of what to expect out of this game. Obviously, Argentina have had a poor run in the internationals earlier this year. They've had a change at head coach. Ledesma officially named uh, the head coach for them. Uh, and hopefully he'll bring a bit more of the Haguaris, uh feeling and gameplay into this into this contest. But um, hard to imagine South Africa not taking this home um, after showing a bit of what, they've, what they were playing like versus England earlier in this year and playing at home. Yeah, yeah, I'd take South Africa for sure. Um, I think they're a lock to win this one. When it goes over to South America, who knows? But I think at the moment, South Africa are on the rise in terms of internationally. I think they're they're bouncing back a bit from a very lean year last year. Mm. Um, some good young players coming through, and I expect to see some, some pretty good rugby from them. Yeah, definitely be an interesting game to see. Um, so both tipping South Africa for that game. So that's probably all we need to talk about for today. We can wrap this up. We'll be back, obviously, next week and review that first round of the Rugby Championship. And we'll also be getting into a preview of what the NRC has in store for us for 2018. Because while uh, domestic rugby is coming to a close, that whole competition is just getting warmed up and a bit of a new look for that competition in 2018. But we'll get into that all next week. And as we wrap up, we remind you again to... Follow us on Apple Podcasts, but a big thank you to Spotify that has now um, come in to host the show. So make sure you search us up on Spotify and give us a follow there as well. Every click helps, guys. We'll continue to bring you some quality, quality broadcasting as always. Otherwise, guys, keep keep following us. Uh, keep up to date with all the news on Instagram and Facebook at Running Rugby Podcast and on our Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Go the Wallabies. Hopefully we can... Lockdown, a first win, our first step towards getting the Bledisloe back this year. Until next week, keep on running. Run.